Well, here we are in the final days of this year, and it is great to spend this time together. I uh, also just love this season of the year. It's uh, for many reasons. We get our latest Star Wars fix. I'm waiting for a whole year for this, and here it comes. Uh, far better than that, of course, it's Christmas, and uh, it's a great time of year when we can kind of look backward in time and we see the the things that God has done in sending Jesus into the world to be our Savior, and it's still just a wonderful time just to fill with excitement and uh, great drama and gatherings and uh, realize again the, the greatness of our walk with Christ. And then we do kind of a little spiritual pirouette this time of year, and we look into a new year. And I think it's always really interesting for me to take a little uh, look, a sneak peering into the new year and, and consider what God might have and what he wants to do. Personally, uh, this has been an anniversary season for my wife and I, so Karen and I spent it a, another year together. We enjoyed that and celebrated that anniversary as well. And so we have a custom in our, our family this time of year, and that is we go out to California where we visit some of the California family that we love and also take a leisurely stroll on the beach. And it's just fantastic, and it's uh, warm and pleasant. And it's a great break for us to do this very thing that this season presents for us, to kind of slow down and reflect what has God done this year, some of the good things, some of the hard things, the challenges, all of that stuff, and wrap it together and, and do a little processing. Uh, God, what are you teaching us? What do you want to lead us into? And that's been very helpful for us. And then we think about the coming year and uh, do some thinking. God, we're available. We want you to know that. And what do you have in store for us? Do some leading in our lives and speaking to us. And so just a very wonderful, positive time for us. Today, we, we kick off a fascinating series uh, called The Upside Down Kingdom, uh, a look at some of the in, intriguing values of the kingdom of God. And uh, we begin with a very fascinating message that's found in Luke chapter 14. In fact, I thought that these words of Jesus that we're going to look at are so helpful, especially at this entry point into a new year, which causes us to kind of think and make those resolutions and those things that we like to think about for the, for the coming year. Jesus wants to clarify some expectations that he has for his people. And he uses a great word to describe us in this setting. It is the word disciple. Now, when we clear away all the spiritual veneer from the word disciple, really is just a word that means one who learns, one who follows, one who goes after. And uh, we're going to see here that it's, it's disciples that Jesus is really interested in creating and making. Uh, he has less interest in creating religious gatherings that sometimes do religious things and have religious activities and, and so forth. Uh, he's not very much interested in observers of the faith, but rather people who are all in, people who are living and growing and learning and relationally connected to him in very vital ways. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. And so first, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 25 to 35 tonight and uh, consider this passage from God's word. So please uh, listen along. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if these words sound a little bit confusing to you, uh, join the club. <laughs> okay? Uh, there is a context, however, that's going to help us. And I want to just build a little bit of a, a story around these words that Jesus spoke. Previous to this, Jesus had spoken at length about uh, the kingdom of God and the greatness of the kingdom of God. And he introduced this wonderful thing we're going to be talking about in future weeks. And in one section just prior to this passage, he compares the kingdom to uh, like a great banquet, a huge feast that is just wonderful, elaborate, beautiful time where he, the host, sends out invites. And he sends out invites to everybody he knows. He wants everyone to come to this great party, this great feast that he's holding. Come to the feast. I want you to join me at this table. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. You don't want to miss this time. But the many invites are met with rejection. Mostly polite, but filled with those, those excuses, like I have ox to take care of that day and whatever it is. And, and I think we can identify with that. It's a little bit like when someone is moving and they ask you for help, how creative we can become with our excuses. You know how it goes. And, and people were doing the same kinds of things. They, they were, oh, I like to go to your feast, but I just, you know, I have other things going on. So he's hearing these excuses and he's a bit down, I think, a little bit frustrated, a little bit sad as the people were not responding to the invitation. In verse 25, it says that large crowds were present. So there's this huge number of people that are, are listening to him and, and huge attendance records are being set. But Jesus is hearing the excuses when it comes time to following. These people were not evil. They were not bad people. They were uh, people that just needed to sort out some stuff. And so Jesus is going to help them with that. He lays the groundwork, and he wants to have people consider what it means to belong to him. That's a great question for us. And again, Jesus is not looking for religious people to hang out do, and do some religious things. He's looking for people who are committed to following him. So what does that mean? Well, I've given this message the title, Following Jesus, Is It Really Worth It? Now, before you jump to the church answer, which says, sure, it's worth it, I want us to kind of think through this whole process because Jesus presents some real-life issues that we have to be thinking about involving the cost involved in following Christ. So to do this, I'm going to throw at you three practices, three things that we can kind of weave into our thinking as a pattern of life in terms of our own walk with Christ. 
So number one, Christ followers understand the cost. Now, Jesus is grabbing the attention of his listeners, and he begins this message like this, as we just read. If anyone, does not, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his, their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a great way to start a message, isn't it? <laughs> Hello, folks. Uh, it's time to hate your family. Um, oh, my. And then he continues right away in verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then when you think it could not get any worse, down in verse 33, he says this. And in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. There's the message. And I would imagine that if you were in this crowd, and maybe the same is happening here, uh, there might be some whispering going on saying, that, did Jesus just say what I think he said? You've got to be kidding. He can't be serious about those things that he's just said. It does sound confusing. In fact, in our culture, we don't frame the Christian faith in the language of cost. Uh, that kind of thinking and that kind of speaking just is totally um, foreign to us. We just don't think in that framework of cost. Uh, let me give you an example from my own personal life. When I came to know Jesus, I was 11 years old. And um, my family at the time were not uh, followers of Christ. Uh, since then, they did before their passing. I'm very thankful for that. But they took us to the nearest church, and in this case, the nearest church was a very interesting place, lovely people that I enjoyed very much, but a very angry pastor. And he was, uh, he was always ranting and raving. He had this very loud voice, very harsh tone. Uh, as an 11-year-old, I thought he had a, a really long finger that seemed to you know, uh, be right in my face all the time. And he, he loved talking about hell. And he had this, his, this very uh, wonderful speaker who had a way of just graphically describing all the intricacies of hell. And uh, as he's sharing the, the hellish details of his message, uh, he had this knack of saying things like this. And it's important you come to know Jesus because you could go out from this church today and get hit by a car and you'd end up there in hell that I've just described. Okay, I'm 11, okay? 11 years old. And I'm listening to this. And I was fearful. And so at his instruction, I prayed a simple prayer. And really it was something like this. Please, Jesus, be my savior. And don't let me get hit by a car tonight. <laughs> Amen. Now... I meant that. It was serious, and looking back, um, I, I, it, it took. <laughs> you know, I really do love Jesus. Uh, but my experience in becoming a Christian was a very low-risk, low low-expectation venture. Um, I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. I prayed. I was in, and I was done with the things that I was asked to do. The big question of my life regarding my relationship with God was settled and it was over. Now, I don't know about you, if your experience hopefully was much more positive than mine and a whole lot more grace-filled than, than mine was. Maybe you went all out and at such a situation, maybe in church or wherever, you raised your hand. And that's, 
that's great. Or you came forward at a, a meeting or perhaps you met with a friend or a person in the prayer team or whatever it might be and you prayed that prayer to, to know Jesus. And we just say, good going. And that's fantastic. And you know salvation is that simple. It is by faith. It is by what Jesus has done for you on the cross, uh, paying the penalty for our sins. And that's all it takes. There's a simplicity around salvation. But I do want to ask, is that all there is? Is that the Christian life? Are we done with everything when we get past that point in time? Do we just kind of hang out, get involved in a few things, a church here and there, and then wait till we die and we go to heaven and everything's all good? I think we understand that Jesus has something much greater in mind. And that is that your prayer, your commitment to follow Jesus, to know him as your Savior and Lord, is more than putting a check mark in a box of spiritual activity. It begins this amazing relationship with God that surpasses all other relationships, that stands at the highest priority of our lives in terms of our love and our commitments, that follows Jesus all the days that we live, and yes, one that will involve cost. That's why Jesus, of course, said what he said. We're not called to hate our families, obviously not. We are, the Bible is filled with instruction to love and care for all those around us, even our enemies, and especially our families that we must take care of. And of course, Jesus doesn't want us to hate our lives. The Bible places tremendous value on our lives. Rather, the language here that Jesus uses is comparative. Your love for Jesus is to be so great and so high, so surpassing, that even the greatest loves of our lives seem small and lesser by comparison. But here's the point. Your following Jesus might mean you lose some relationships. Your following Jesus might mean adjusting personal dreams and goals. Your following Jesus might mean not being into the acquisition of material stuff all your life. Your following Jesus might mean the loss of popularity. Your following Jesus might mean the turning away from some pleasurable things that would turn you away from God. And so the question is, are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Jesus talked about carrying your cross my goodness, what does that mean? I had strange ideas about this. I had a relative, now long gone, uh, not with us, but she was such an interesting, interesting person, and she'd quote this verse all the time. It was amazing. She would say something like this, oh, my, long sigh. Ah, uh, just my cross to bear, another sigh. And it was always in relationship to her husband. It was amazing. <laughs> Incredible. She was bearing the cross all through her life. It's remarkable. And so I assume to, to bear your cross means to have an obnoxious boss or insensitive spouse or maybe a health limitation or something like that. But friends, the cross was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of death. And if we keep this word in its context and what Jesus is saying here is it might be that you lose your life. Are you okay with that? 
Now, honestly, I'm with you in this. Our culture has no conceptual understanding of these terms. We just don't live in this kind of world with those kind of commitments. I want you to meet a few friends as I speak. As you know, we're involved in something called For the City and Beyond. It is something I am so excited about. We have some local elements to this in our city that are amazing things taking place and things coming together in wonderful ways, and you're going to be hearing about that in a few weeks. On the global scene, this has been the most satisfying and exciting year of my life. I've never seen the things that I've seen before like they are happening, where globally our ministry has doubled. And we have the privilege of partnering with people, working with very vulnerable young girls in India and Africa. We have seen our partners through our partnerships and, and through our church teams, many people come to know Jesus. Thousands of global leaders have been equipped, equipped through the International Training Institute, and that's been very fun to see, where now we are exposed in some 14 nations uh, involved in ministry. Next year is a huge jump even from that, so we're very excited. Your gifts and your prayers make this possible, so it's great. One of the best investments we can make in life. But many of the people we work with and rub shoulders with live in a different world, a different universe, a place where the kind of talk that Jesus is talking occurs on a daily basis. And I just want you to, to meet some of them. The first of these people is a name, man by the name of Ambrose. And this is his wife, Millicent. Uh, Ambrose works in South Sudan. He uh, has been a remarkable person. Uh, thousands of people have come to know Christ. Uh, over 400 different Bible studies occurring in this land that has uh, been very much ravaged by war. Uh, this man is amazing. I mean, South Sudan is one of the hottest, driest, awfulest places on the, on the planet. He uh, has been captured by rebel troops. He has been bombed by government forces. He has been in danger so many times. I love the story he tells, uh, if you have the very pride out, out of him, but he says he talks about this time he was on a motorcycle chase and they were all after him. And it kind of rivaled a James Bond movie, you know? And he just pulls it off at the end and he escapes. And I said, well, what are you going to do now? He said, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back. Amazing. And I asked the question, why the hardship? Why the hardship? Why are you putting yourself in this situation, Ambrose? He said, I just love Jesus. It's hard work, but it's great work. I love it. Next person to see is Rafat. Rafat is Egyptian. Rafat has been arrested for his faith. He has been jailed. He had to flee his native Egypt which is still facing persecution, as we heard this week. Another church bombed and people die. He sought asylum in, in Europe, and as a refugee now, reaches other refugees with the gospel, the good news of Christ. People hounding him, after him. Why the opposition? Why are they so angry? Raphat is a follower of Jesus. He had to count that cost. These people you see next are Huvanal Ankati. Huvanal Ankati, some of you have met them. They have lived an interesting life. Huvanal came out of a life of terrorism. Uh, and in a vision one day, he saw a dream where God said, you have to become like a child and humble yourself and come to me. And he did that. And I remember my first years with him, 
he lived, he and his wife and his families lived in this uh, abject poverty. He lived in this garage, and then he moved up to a little bigger garage where they had a hose of water in back. And I said, you can't do this. You have family to care for. You need a nicer place to stay. And he, and he would always say to me, he said, no, the ministry needs this more than, than I need it. The ministry is more important. Why the sacrifice? This next person, his name is Isla. Some of you have, again, met him, if not here or another place. Isla is an interesting person. He's a man on the right, in case you're wondering. And he is a, uh, was a Muslim, born in a Muslim, Muslim home. Through some hardship and crisis in his life, he was loved by a Christian teacher who led him to faith. And God placed this dream, this remarkable dream in his heart to begin a disciple-making movement that has become a reality. During the early days of his life, the early years of his life, he was rejected by his family and expelled from his family, and he did not exist in the eyes of his family. It was really, really hard. Why did that happen? Because he was a follower of Jesus. Two months ago, I had the privilege of meeting his dad, and his sister, who now embrace Christ and follow him. Great. I want to show you a picture. Uh, please don't ask me how I got it. I can't tell you. But it's a recent picture from the prison in Peru. This is the first graduates from the International Training Institute from the federal prison system. These guys are amazing. They live in a, as a minority, Christian minority, in an awful place that is terribly overcrowded, is filled with violence, a tough place to fo follow Christ. But God is at work here, and many, many hundreds of people now follow Jesus because of these men uh, as they work in these cells. One of the men in that picture had the opportunity recently to be paroled. You know what he did? He turned down his parole to stay in this lousy prison. You say, why would a person do that? And in fact, that's what I asked him. And he said, listen, this is the place I found Christ as my Savior. This is my ministry here. These are my guys. And we want to reach all seven pods of this prison with the gospel. That's why I do this. Some of you may know this next person. He's been with us here and spoken here. His name is Danny. Uh, it's amazing. They take selfies in Syria during the war. I don't every place. Danny is the second one from the right in the picture. This man has been interrogated numerous times. He has been threatened. He has, uh, there have been kidnapped attempts on him and on his father and on his son. There have been bullets and rockets and explosions and near misses. God's intervention. Just this year, he was, uh, went to his house and there was a white rose laying across the door, uh, door of the, the uh, house signifying that he was next and he would be dying soon. He's hated by the Alawite community of Syria. Why? He's a nice guy, but he follows Jesus. And sometimes that's the cost. I'll show you this next group of people. And they're amazing people. This is our Syrian team. These are our partners, our leaders that work in Syria. They are amazing people who follow Christ. When the situation got so bad in Syria, Danny called them together and he said to them, listen, some of us are going to be arrested and some of us are going to die. And I love you 
And it's okay for you to leave the movement. I know this is scary. This is a hard time. And I'll love you no matter what. I just need to know who's in. And one by one in this line of people, they all came forward and said, I'm in. I'm in. But at the end, they said, but we have two requests of you. Number one, if we die, we want you to preach the gospel boldly at our funeral. Secondly, you need to find some place for us to be buried. Because we're no longer Muslim. We are no longer welcome in Islamic cemeteries. We have no place to be buried. you got to do that. One of our early joint projects with them was to help them build a cemetery, by the way. Interesting building project. <laughs> so it goes. Now, I share these stories not to inspire, although they are very inspiring people, because rather because these people had to face the stuff that we're talking about at this time. Each one of them had to count the cost of following Jesus and decide what they're going to do. Each one of them had to live out this passage in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said, count the cost. He said, it's like building a tower. Don't just start construction in something and then have no intention of finishing it's like assessing a military situation. Don't just barge into a battle before you understand what's involved. Check it out. Jesus never wanted that kind of shallow commitment to him. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, my heart is crying out, come to know Jesus as your Savior. But I think I'm not going to do that. Because I think what Christ is saying here, listen, count the cost before you do anything. Know what you're in for and what's involved. And we're not talking perfection or some superhero courage or even being like one of these people, but rather following and learning and growing and depending and loving and living and forgiving and giving. So, number one, understand the cost. Number two, Christ followers must understand the value. Understand the value. While there's a price, there's also a value to be gained. And I want to see if I can illustrate this for you. Okay, I have, a, I have a 2005 Ford Focus. Red. Okay, impressed? It's got a few dings, okay? And it's got a few miles. It's got longevity built into the very fabric of this car. Uh, it's a beauty. And it really runs. And um, this, is, this is my car. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal. You can have this car. I'll tie a bow on it, the whole thing, like in the commercials. You can have it for $50,000. Wow. Cool, huh? Now, I, I, I'm sensing some pessimism in the room, and I, I get some of that. Probably some of you are saying $50,000 for that pile of junk. No offense is taken. That's a lot of money, okay? $50,000, and you're probably saying that's not worth it. That's a terrible deal. And friends, that's exactly the point I want us to see. It is a rotten deal. Although I'm leaving the offer on the table. If you want to talk afterwards, we can still do that. <laughs> but what if this happened? And unfortunately, it may not be. But what if I said the new coming Tesla next-gen roadster? 
okay? Zero to 60 in 1.9 seconds. This thing goes 250 miles an hour. You can outrace a jet plane on takeoff. How are you going to do that? I don't have an idea. But anyway, a range of 620 miles. It seats four. And friends, it comes in red. Hmm. If you're a car enthusiast, and I were to say to you, I'll give you this car for $50,000. And you're thinking, $50,000 is a lot of money. And yes, it is. But if you know cars, this is a car that's going to be selling for over $200,000. And you're thinking differently. Hmm, that may be a good deal. That may be a good deal. Same price, okay? But there's something different. And the difference is in the value you receive for the price you pay. The value, not only the cost, differentiates the two deals. Now, in following Jesus, it is important to know both of these things, the cost and the value. What's fascinating to me is I didn't know this going in when I committed my life to Jesus when I was 11 years old. I had no clue about these things. But I found that the costs involved in following Jesus don't seem like costs anymore <laughs> because the value in following Christ has far outpaced all of that. It's too wonderful to ever turn your back on. And all the people that you saw in those screens, those photos, would say the very same thing. In fact, followers of Jesus have said the same thing. They all agree throughout time. Listen to some of them. Here's Abraham, for example, who gave up a lot for Jesus. He left, his, he left everything. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Listen now. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He knew there was a value that was present if he followed God. And he said, it's worth it. It's worth it to leave my family, my possessions, my things to go after this. Listen to Moses. It becomes even stronger. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, said the same things. He had these experiences of being misunderstood and slandered and beaten and put in prison and shipwrecked and nearly assassinated. And he says this, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Peter was struggling with this. In, in Mark chapter 10, for example, he says this. We have left everything to follow you, Jesus. I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, feels along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Know the cost, know the value. Practice number three, real quickly. Christ followers understand who they are. Who they are. As Jesus calls people to assess the cost and the values of following him, he says this curious thing in verse 33 of our passage. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, for emphasis, he uses that negative. But let's flip this around and work through this issue. We can be Jesus' disciples. That's the good news. If we are willing to follow him and put him first. I've been wrestling with this again. How do I, how do I share this in ways that make sense? Think about it in this way. As we go through life, there are no risk-free guarantees. Only in TV infomercials. That's the only place you find that. Risk is inherent with living. No one lives without hardship. We don't know the details of this coming year. We don't know the future chapters of our lives. We don't know the specifics that lie way beyond our control. I have no control over what talents I may or may not have received in life. I have no control over disabilities that may come my way. I have no control over the genetic composition of who I am or the levels of intelligence I may not have or have. I have no control over life events that will come or the duration of my life and how long I will live or the cost involved in following Jesus. I have no control over any of that. So I'm thinking, why am I going to bother worrying about it? Because I do have control over something. I can choose. I can choose to follow Jesus and have him with me through whatever I face in my life. All the time, 24-7. I can refuse to underestimate what God can do in my life. I can refuse to let fear dictate my future. I can refuse to let past regrets or failures or successes or hurts or disappointment determine who I am. I can choose the adventure that God has for me. I can choose his value system that brings healing and hope to other people and, and watches the advance of the gospel and the power of the gospel in this world. I can be like the salt that's flavorful that Jesus talked about in his story. And I can choose a life where one day I'll be welcomed into heaven and hear from the very mouth of the God who saved me these words, well done, good job, welcome, welcome. Friends, we can choose new things, new life, new identity as disciples of Jesus. But all of this goes back to the question we started with that only you can answer. Following Jesus, is it really worth it? Would you join me, please, as we, as we pray? As we, uh, as we bow our heads and we speak to the Lord, I'd like us to kind of uh, walk through a bit of response together. And I'd like us to imagine this banquet Jesus has prepared in, in the context of this passage we've studied and think about the invite that you have received. An invite that God has for you into something that's good, into a future that he has created for you.
But as you get the invite, you're just not sure. You don't know what's going to happen at the banquet. You don't know the people in the room. And probably all of us are at different places in our lives, and that's okay. That's good, wherever you are. You may be on the outside thinking about whether it's safe to enter or not. This is all true. You might be at the door poking your head in to check it out and scope it out. You might be walking to the table, maybe a little bit scary. Not sure about all of this. But with enough trust to say, I think I'm in. And some of you might be at the table enjoying the meal, hearing the plan. Maybe something that's over your, your head, but you're willing to go for it. Willing to say, Lord, whatever you desire, I'm in. As we think about following Jesus and if it's worth it, we need to start where we are with Jesus in view. You know, following involves single choices and commitments that are simple. Commitments of just putting Jesus first in our lives, best we know how. Of hearts that are available to him. Of knowing that Jesus, deep down, that Jesus can be trusted I'd like to just allow a moment just for you and God to have this, this time as, as we come to the end of this year, as we launch into a, a new season, of just to share your response to him. What's, where are you? To let him know if, if he's worth it to follow or what you need from him. Lord, you have called us as your disciples. We have so much to learn. We have so much to grow in. Lord, our commitments are often mixed with excuses. But Lord, we want to be those people that you are creating and making and impacting the world with. Lord, show us yourself even as we worship, as we sing these songs, just show us yourself that you can be trusted, that you are faithful, that you're the one who makes promises and keeps those promises. Lord, do your work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.